0: Welcome to Right Rising, a podcast from the Center for the Analysis of the Radical Right. I'm your host, Augusta DeLoma. Today I'm joined by Dr. Will Alcorn, the Associate Director of the Center for the Analysis of the Radical Right and a postdoctoral researcher at University of Leeds. He's here with us today to introduce Carr and give us some context for understanding the radical right. Will, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for asking me on, Augusta. It's good to be here. Thanks.
0: So I wanted to start with big questions because many of our listeners may not be familiar with the center. And as this is our first episode, where did the idea of CAR come from? And what is the organization's overall mission and goals?
1: Great. Yeah. Um, So we kind of um, formed the idea for the center in late 2017. And it was a collaboration between myself and Professor Matthew Feldman. Um, So at the time, we kind of we'd we'd already discussed the idea of putting together kind of a network of academic researchers um, studying in the field of far right studies, um, both in the UK but also internationally. But it felt quite um, an auspicious time to start a centre, uh, specifically after kind of that moment of um, the Trump election and in the UK, the EU referendum. We certainly saw a lot of these. Movements which had largely been at the fringes of politics, both in um, the US but also um, in the UK and the European context, kind of emerging as as more mainstream um, actors and, and almost being emboldened by um, some of the uh, leaders who are in power, um, having this kind of more liberal, kind of authoritarian um, kind of streak to them. Uh, so it kind of piqued our our interest and and it it kind of felt right um to to lead a center um i guess this is kind of the usp of car uh which is a bit more public facing and trying to bring the expertise of academics and practitioners in in a more public way um on some of the issues um emerging from this um moment of shifting towards um kind of the mainstreaming of specific ideas within um the kind of uh, constellation of, of far-right ideology um so yeah so we kind of set out um in a co- kind of educational mode i guess at the start um to promote um better understanding of the mission of sorry of um the radical right globally um so we're quite keen to kind of push the boundaries of the concept beyond um, the global north. Um, And so we've done this through um, Insight blogs, um, which we kind of publish every um, day almost, um, as well as through kind of collaborations with third sector um, and other research organizations. Uh, And we, we tried to kind of aim for, much of kind of the topical and emerging issues uh, as possible so more recently we've published reports what we call research insights um papers looking at um things like eco-fascism uh, but also um things like the kind of the emotional aspects of of right-wing populism kind of um trying to give a, a bit more of an in-depth look that um perhaps the the blogs um Perhaps can't fill, so we yeah we've been going for three years now, um, and uh, it's been really a great um, kind of uh, to see how much attention some of the blogs have been getting, um, and also kind of um, when we've been able to partner with outside organisations, some some quite cool collaborations. Um, In trying to kind of unpack um, what we mean by far extremism, and if there's any kind of interventions that we can um, help develop um, or aid through kind of robust um, systematic uh, research on the topic, Um, so that's kind of uh, yeah a quick overview of of how we started and and kind of where we're at in terms of um our mission our mission's kind of it's kind of changed a bit um i'd say in the past year or so um from kind of presenting knowledge in, in an accessible way towards producing it so with that uh research insight series um but we've also got an ongoing project with um Hedaya, who are an inter- kind of a center for international excellence on counterterrorism interventions, looking at um, really one of the first major projects on far-right counter-narratives um, and producing some reports and guides that might be useful for um, practitioners and, and NGOs who are active in that space. Um, so yeah, that's kind of broad contours of, of what we've been doing um, for the past three years.
0: I think that sets out really well, particularly some of the aspects of CAR that I most appreciate as a scholar. It truly is a global network of fellows. I've connected with people and collaborated with people who work in Latin America and Asia in Southeast Asia and Australia. A lot of times the content that we see about the far right is very domestically focused. It's really focused on the national context of these organizations. And CAR is really creating a global forum for us to share our research and talk about the ways that these groups are creating a robust and violent exchange across the globe. So I think that you highlighted that really well. And you mentioned a few of these, but what are some of the key highlights and projects that Car has been working on and as you said, there's kind of a shift in the organization's direction. So can you tell us what kinds of collaborations the organization is looking for going forward?
1: Um Augusta, yeah. So um so we've kind of um we had our I guess our first major um project was was the first um inaugural in, sorry, inaugural conference um, that we had last May in London, which was a really interesting um, forum where we had uh, kind of traditional academic papers um, and presentations. Uh, we had keynotes from um, one of our patrons, um, Professor Kasimuda, um as well as um, also keynotes by um, Cynthia Miller Idris um, and Mark Protok, um, who are fellows um, at the centre um and that was a really interesting exchange because we also had as well as that more academic focus we had um panels and speakers uh, of people who were um involved at more kind of policy uh, level so we had some people from um the southern poverty law center um coming to speak to us Uh, we had some former um far extremists talking about their um Kind of entry and exit from the far right uh, as well as um, a panel uh, with um, some people from advertising um, as well as the home office who are involved in, in analyzing and constructing um, interventions to counter some of the um, messages by um, far right groups um, in the uk um, so yeah we've had um a couple of um we've had that event um as well as the ongoing webinar series looking at best practice in terms of uh, far right due radicalization um which has been again a good mixture um a good blend of of both academics and policy facing um individuals um and we've had a couple of of reports uh, which have been Uh, picked up um, at least in the UK press around um, the first one was around slogans slurs um, and symbols of the far rights which hopefully be a useful bank of of information for uh, mainly uh, kind of tech platforms Um, and then I think we've got another one due out uh, shortly uh, which looks at kind of different definitions uh, of far extremism and kind of like a A panoramic overview of some of the um kind of main influences and actors um on the global uh far right scene um so that's kind of a blend of some stuff which is um coming forward and and some stuff which you've already done um and then a kind of another key project which follows on from this tie-up um mentioned with Hadaya is um, a six month um, follow on project where we're hoping to kind of rigorously test some of the counter narrative material that we've uh, been developing um, for uh, the counter narratives project uh, with um, people who might be kind of leaning towards these groups. Um, But also because there is a a kind of at least a lack of. empirical evidence when it comes to um, counter-narratives which have been used more generally um, more specifically towards more jihadi extremist um, leaning audiences um, and very little in terms of the far-right because this methodology hasn't been as as widely applied um, to far-right leaning audiences so hopefully some interesting um, insights coming out from that in the past in sorry in, in the following uh, year or so um and um yeah um some yeah some kind of um yeah policy facing um outcomes uh, related to that
0: thanks for that will and i think that's it's a really great overview of all of the work that car is doing and i particularly like the point that you emphasize which I think is a draw for all of us who study the radical right is the disproportionate study of far right groups, as opposed to jihadi extremist groups, that the amount of money and research really doesn't go at least until recently towards studying far right extremists. That's one of the things that I know drew me to this topic. So shifting gears a little bit to your personal background, how did you become interested in researching and studying the radical right?
1: um yeah thanks augusta for that question i mean um i've been studying uh far right mainly in the u k um but also in in Western Europe for the past uh ten years um or so um so i started um becoming interesting in this topic mainly because in the u k at least we had um the rise of a neo fascist um party called the british national party. Uh, and what was interesting there was that, uh, throughout kind of its early history, it wasn't a very successful party. Um, it was largely on, on the fringes. Um, and it was only really in the two thousands that we saw, uh, it rise, um, as a party, uh, mainly because of, um, the leadership of, of Nick Griffin, um, in becoming chairman of the party in 1999 um and, and what i found interesting about that case study was um we saw a shift um away from um kind of this more biologically racist um kind of um anti-semitic um leaning focus um and obviously in that post 9 11 security environment um of kind of targeted government policies. Um, against um kind of targeting the the muslim population um the shift towards um taking more anti kind of islam or anti muslim um stances as well as attaching that to a broader program of of right wing populism um and also kind of positioning themselves as the kind of authentic kind of outsider protest um party within uh, britain's electoral um, system, um, and we see this also um, in the Greek case with Golden Dawn um, in Greece, uh, which is uh, and again another neo-Nazi um, kind of neo-fascist party. Um, but in the early two thousand and tens, what it was also good at doing was a similar thing that the BNP did in terms of kind of placing itself as um, that kind of authentic off, op- opposing party to. Um, to the mainstream so um, I guess this is before the moment that we're currently in uh, where we have um, at least the politics not necessarily the parties of the far right in power Um, but it was when they were able to kind of mobilise some discontents about um, the mainstream in order to to rise electorally so The party at its kind of zenith, um, and this was around the time that I was um, kind of starting to write my master's, um, or just after actually, master's thesis. Um, In 2010, they managed to um, chalk up some of the highest electoral results in the UK um, for a far-right party, um, scoring about uh, half a million votes um, in that 2010 election not winning any seats or kind of breaking through um, um only really at the kind of European European parliament kind of level um so sorry this is just a very long introduction um so so my um what i did kind of based on that was um some interviews uh with uh, MPs who had been in constituencies where this party had been doing particularly well um, and trying to speak to them about what electoral strategies uh, or counter strategies probably is a better way to term it um, that they used in relation to um this party um and what was quite interesting there is you saw kind of a blend of um, that kind of more kind of anti-racist um stance of of kind of no platforming um but you also had some people who were also kind of trying to examine. Uh, what were the kind of um grievances that these parties were trying to mobilize on and there's always this kind of debate um in the literature about whether you should um kind of uh reject or kind of adopt um these um these grievances um within um within these responses so that was kind of my initial um kind of introduction um to the topic um and then uh, I did for my phd a bit more of a shift towards uh, more street based um protest which is becoming more of a, an issue in the uk after the fall of the the bmp quickly after that 2010 result um so again i interviewed um a larger sample of of policymakers both politicians police officers as well as Um, behind-the-scenes council officials in areas where um, uh, the English Defence League um, and then latterly Britain First, um, two of these anti-Islam kind of street protest um, movements had kind of mobilised. And, yeah, again, the kind of idea in my mind was um, talked about by Karl Popper is this idea of to what extent do we tolerate um ex- extremist or intolerant um actors um so that kind of is what got me started <laughs> in terms of um trying to to, to understand this topic is, is how the mainstream reacts um and um yeah um i guess we've seen a flip in recent years towards these parties becoming the mainstream so it's a fairly interesting um kind of switch that we've seen over the past 10 years.
0: I completely agree. And I think that's been one of the most fascinating aspects of my own work is that symbiotic relationship between what we as scholars would classify as the far right and the actual process of mainstreaming the far right and the difficulties that we face as researchers of wanting to understand how these groups form, but also not wanting to amplify or elevate their grievances, if you want to use that word, um, which in many cases are based on, as you said, racist, xenophobic assumptions. So that tension for scholars is always really present. I wanted to ask you from your research, and I think for many of our listeners, this could be their first entry into the far right and understanding how these organizations work. We're going to focus on a lot of different kinds of far right groups on this podcast but what do you think are some key areas of focus for understanding the radical right
1: I think one of the the interesting things which i've found from studying far right social movements is that um actually a lot of people come to these movements with um very kind of non-ideological motivations um like going back to that example of the english defence league uh, uh, sociologist um called hillary pilkington who did a lot of kind of ethnographic work with the activists there it was um what drew them to these movements was perhaps a sense of belonging um or a sense of family um and also attached to that some grievances about being um kind of rejected from from mainstream politics or, or kind of mainstream um forms of of political activism um so i think it's it's kind of important to to kind of um look at those those social uh drivers um in in terms of trying to what we should be focusing on i know that there'll be probably lots of people who will pile in on me and say <laughs> say that ideology is actually the the most um important thing but i think that kind of comes after um and is used as a way of of kind of um Understanding or making sense of um, some of these these kind of credences. Um, um, another one which I um, which is in, interesting to stress um, in terms of um, the far right um, is the difference between their kind of front facing um, and back facing um, discourses. Um, because a lot of these groups have become very good and professionalised at presenting themselves um, it, in what they kind of try to perceive as kind of this kind of legitimate um, light. Um, so it's um, it's always interesting to, when we're kind of analysing or trying to understand the radical right, um, try to compare what their front-facing discourse, what they say to public actors versus what they say internally um cuz i think there's some really interesting analysis to be to be done there often the back facing discourse is is far more extreme kind of going back to that case study of golden dawn um if you kind of witness any of their kind of rallies or um kind of internal conversations they almost um there was this cult around the leader of um the party um almost as yeah um and some very weird kind of neo-nazi kind of ritualism going on um so i think it's always good to kind of bear those in mind and i know that matthew uh, feldman our, our director has written a bit um about that it's called kind of double speak um another one um which is kind of it'd be remiss of me not to suggest that people focus on when trying to understand the radical right is how, um, the internet has, has really kind of changed the game um, completely for these actors, um, both in terms of trying to recruit new um, adherents, but also um, in terms of their ability to um, collaborate transnationally. Um, I mean, we did, we did see in the 1980s, if we look back historically, a lot of parties trying to emulate the Front National. Um, and, and trying to go after what is called in the um, political science literature as a winning formula of of what ideological um, kind of um, tenets that were needed in order to um, break through and gain electoral popularity. Um, but in the present moment, I guess, um, a lot of people can be exposed to or, or tune into um or kind of stumble upon these ideas on YouTube or um, if they're searching um, on kind of Telegram um, to, to kind of access some of these ideas. So they've, yeah, they've really been, uh, it's really kind of changed both how um, they kind of recruit um, and organize, um, but also in terms of their ability to collaborate and also project um their propaganda so um so yeah social factors um double speak and the online space i think are really some really kind of crucial lenses in order to um analyze kind of what's been going on um in terms of the radical right today
0: I think that last point, Will, about the ease of radicalization with the internet is so important. I just read a study a few days ago about not just on what people are seeking out, but what content is actually being pushed on them because of how algorithms work. The study was specifically on YouTube, but people can end up in these channels of far right videos and talking points and propaganda. There's been a lot about video games and there's all of these channels now that people can be exposed to these very violent, racist ideas. And there's not a lot of regulation um, as well, which can really complicate efforts to, as you said, demobilize and uh, de-radicalize people. So I wanted to ask you, as someone who's been studying this for 10 years, what are some common misconceptions about the radical right that we see from politicians, from mainstream media, or even popular culture?
1: Yeah. Um, thanks, Augusta. Yeah. So, I mean, wh- one um, interesting concept, which um, Kasemud has kind of talked about or distinction, um, w- which is quite um, quite an interesting way of, of analyzing the, the whole far right phenomenon is um, trying to move away from seeing it as um, kind of, a Pathology um something kind of other and not related to um kind of mainstream society um particularly when we're thinking about um uh, more populist um parties and actors, perhaps not the kind of fringe um who go for very kind of esoteric forms of ideology um and they have kind of slightly different i would argue kind of drivers um so away from that kind of um other kind of thinking about um to what extent are some of the the ideas so um this concept of nativism um dividing uh, between a native out group and a native in group um kind of authoritarian um kind of policy measures and appeals um and trying to think about how that is perhaps an extension of what's going on in mainstream um kind of society um itself in terms of people's attitudinal systems um but also kind of more banal forms of, of nationalism or um islamophobia um that um perhaps is is a is a bit more um a bit more subtle um in how how it appears. So I think um we kind of have to this is also something which is applied to terrorist actors as well, um in how they're kind of covered um, in the media, um, which I think we need to kind of perhaps step away from um in terms of our kind of conception of um of of the far right. Um so so that's kind of one um kind of area which um I'd like to stress. Kasimudo says it in a more fancy way than I do. Um he talks about kind of shifting from this idea of the far right being a normal pathology towards a, a pathological um, normal normalcy so it's kind of like um a pathological extension of um what's already kind of going on in society um and in politics um another kind of thing which um i kind of want to stress perhaps is um that um far extremists aren't um actually doing that well out of um the current pandemic there's there's often this kind of um notion within popular um analyses of um the far right that it comes with um and is triggered by crisis moments um which i mean broadly is is true if we look at kind of the broad sweep of history um but actually um a lot of um these um kind of trigger events um again play on um kind of uh kind of fears that or kind of panics, um, which are already kind of in embedded in, um, broader society. Um, and kind of going back to that, that COVID-19 piece, um, at least in the UK, um, we haven't really seen, um, the far right doing that well. Um, they've tried to, to kind of mobilize on the streets a tiny bit in terms of anti-lockdown. Um, protests, um, some kind of anti-black lives matter. Um, they had one fairly large march, um, but that was that was swelled by people who were um, not really necessarily kind of traditionally aligned with the main movements that were organising at that time. So, um, and I think there is, or at least at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of syst- trust in the system. Um, which is um again important in kind of staving off um the the yeah those on on the fringes trying to kind of mobilize on this issue so um so I, I kind of um feel that um we shouldn't really see i mean the 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 signal is the crisis moment but the noise which is underneath it is perhaps a bit more interesting um in analyzing and um Kind of trying to be critically aware of that—that um, that there isn't this automatic correlation between um, a crisis moment and um, the rise in, in far-right extremism—and um, then kind of third um, point which I had um, was around um, this idea that um, not all far-right extremists um, are. Are kind of um uh fascists and not all of them them are hipsters um so there's often kind of um this um focus um on um kind of i guess the more kind of racial nationalist part of the um part of the um spectrum who tend to be the more kind of neo-nazi um a more kind of um yeah, kind of uh, there has been the shifting coverage to, to to look at um what they call kind of um hipster fascists so um some of these more identitarian groups um but um I think what's um quite unique about far extremism when we're kind of comparing it to other forms of like jihadi extremism is just simply the the breadth of um of different flavours of ideology, um, right from those more kind of racial nationalist, neo Nazi groups, um, through to more um kind of ethno nationalist um uh kind of identitarian groups and then along to the more mainstream kind of um culturally nationalist anti Islam groups that um they mobilise on Perhaps the same core of of, of nativism, um, but they do it in very um, different ways and have very different relations with um, the mainstream. So um, it, yeah, it, it's 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 such a uh, I think that's what's what's kind of unique about um, far ideology and, and far extremist movements is is simply the 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 breadth and another debate which we'll probably have on another podcast in terms of policing the boundaries of what we consider far extremism is um the extent to which we can also i think arguably can include um anti-government extremists as well as um involuntary uh, (laughs) cell um in cells um as um as kind of as being within the broader umbrella of the far right, I mean, um, yeah, you can certainly see um, those anti-government appeals being a, a really strong element of the more populist aspects of the far right, as well as um, a kind of toxic form of, of masculinity. So, um, so yeah, it's, it can be quite a bewildering phenomena, and I think easy kind of um reductionist explanations um really um help to simplify it but perhaps um also end up kind of um yeah um missing out a lot of the variation um that we see um and i think having that variation is important in terms of being able to properly analyze um this contemporary issue
0: I completely agree with you, Will, and I, I think that's a great point to, to sum up this first podcast is the far right is a very uh, strange, but there's all these different groups that are operating in this space. Some have managed to, as you said earlier, engage in this kind of doublespeak professionalization to make themselves seem more palatable to other right wing actors. And the stereotype still, though, is the neo-Nazis that are sitting in their rooms and on their computer, that now these groups actually have become very powerful and really have an ability to influence and be part of mainstream culture, which, as you pointed out in your first misconception, is a real problem that we need to be addressing, is how do these groups not only resist mainstream culture, but really feed off existing ideas of race and immigration that are part of our ecosystem? So will where can we hear more from you are you on twitter do you have anything exciting coming out for our listeners
1: um yeah i mean people can follow me on twitter um at will orcon uh with two l's um in will uh yeah i i try to keep uh as much um kind of <laughs> fresh stuff from both from car but also uh, from the media reporting if there's any kind of developing issues there um So that's, yeah, that's probably the best um, kind of place to reach me on. Um, Yeah, most active on Twitter. Um, So, yeah, if you want to drop me a line or um, kind of talk about any of this further, then Twitter is probably the best place.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Augusta. Thanks.
0: This has been Right Rising, a podcast from the Center for the Analysis of the Radical Right. Looking forward to next time.